He will put the sheep on his right, put the sheep on his right, my right, and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Then the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The gospel of our Lord. Well, I came out here to California in 1998 and I took a call to Messiah Lutheran over there in Yorba Linda. It was, it was and still is a well-to-do congregation. In many ways, it, you could call it a yuppie congregation. And I don't say that in a negative way. That's just who they are. Now, in among the worshipers, when I got there in 1998, I noticed a man with long hair, a ponytail actually, and he had an earring. Before that was a popular thing, he had a scruffy mustache. He, he, was a nice, he had a nicely dressed family that came with him, and he seemed very much at home in the congregation, but to me, just looked a little different in that congregation. I found out later he was an undercover cop. <clears throat> uh huh. Yeah, his appearance allowed him to go places where police officers couldn't often go. He traveled, the word is incognito. You know that word? It's a nice word, incognito so that he could connect with people who shied away from the police. And he learned things, he learned uh, ex and experienced things, and he heard, heard things simply because his identity was hidden from those he dealt with. Friends, our God is an undercover God. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has infiltrated this world and is traveling incognito. Now we Christians often talk about meeting God and the power and the beauty of nature, rainbows and sunsets and bountiful harvests. Our first song this morning was about that. And when I was growing up, one of my favorite songs was, Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder, you know that one, 
then sings my soul. Well, that's great. And I, I, I like that song, and I sing it. But we're not the only religion that talks about meeting God in the beauty of nature, the beauty and power of nature. Other religions do that too. And we Christians, we talk about meeting God in the scripture, in our holy writings. When we learn about God and we hear God speak in the Bible, I believe that. Well, other religions do that too. And we talk about encountering God in our holy meal, in holy communion, in our sacred rituals. And other religions do that too. We talk about God meeting God in worship. And other religions, we can go right down the road here to the Hindu temple. They're doing the same thing. So, we share many things with other religions. No problem. But a hidden God? A hidden God? That's something different. Little story. Little Jenny and her, her brother Justin, they played a game whenever they heard their daddy's car pull into the garage. They would run into their hiding places. Now, daddy played the game too. He'd come into the house and he'd call out, where's my Jenny? Where's my Justin? And he'd go searching all over. And he'd pretend to look everywhere, but he'd always find him because Jenny always would hid behind the couch and Justin always under the table. But every once in a while, the two kids would decide they would really hide. And once they went down into the basement, he hid behind the water heater and dad couldn't find him at all. Now we Christians, just like other religious people, we often look for God in the obvious places. And we believe, I believe, we can meet, we can meet God in those places. But today, today Jesus reminds us that there is something unique about our God. Our God heads for the basement. The God of the universe, the God of awesome creative power, the God of the Ten Commandments and the parting of the Red Sea has headed for places that most of us choose not to go. He heads for the neighborhoods we'd rather avoid. He rides down the streets that you and I want to stay away from. God comes into our world undercover. And he goes to the emergency rooms. He goes to the grimy holding cells. He goes to smelly overnight shelters. Our God is a hidden God. Now, we might think to ourselves, well, that's cool. If God wants to stay hidden, that's just fine. I'll let God, the hidden God, do God's thing. I'll just stick with the more obvious God. I'll just stick to God in the Bible and God in worship with nice people sitting in nice pews and I won't worry about that other part. Let God do that thing. But there's just one problem with that. One problem with that kind of thinking and it's right behind me. It's the cross. You see, at the center, not on the edge, but at the center of our personal faith, at the center of our congregation's life, stands the cross. And the cross is about execution and torture and blood and suffering and death. 
Without the cross, there is no Christian life. There is no Christian church. The cross is where God hides God's glory and God's power. So, like it or not, we are stuck with the fact that at the center is the hidden God. Not on the edge, but at the center. Now we say, and I believe, that the Holy Spirit's power of forgiveness and life is hidden in the waters of baptism. We say that and believe that, that the body and blood, the saving power of Christ is hidden in the bread and the wine. I believe that. But today's reading goes farther, and it tells us that the living Lord is hidden in hungry, thirsty people, in strangers, in the naked, in the sick, and in the imprisoned. Today, Jesus tells us the God that saves you is the hidden God. Today, Jesus reminds us the God that we say we follow is a hidden God. Now, that's scary, and it's troublesome, you know why? Because you can't predict or control a hidden God. We can control worship. We line up the pews. We just sit in our places. We're six feet apart. We can control all that. But following a hidden God is risky business. How can we fit following a hidden God into our control, success-defined lives? I did my seminary internship way back in 1975 at First Lutheran Church in Galveston, Texas. And my internship supervisor was Pastor Vern Rabel. Vern was a burnt-out pastor. He survived by controlling a very few things and running away from what he couldn't control. Now, Galveston is a seaport town, and like many seaport towns, it tends to have a few folks that have reached the end of the line, folks in trouble, folks needing help. Now from his office, Vern could look out and he could see a, the sidewalk. He could see people coming into the main office. When he saw someone coming down that sidewalk toward the church office, someone he didn't recognize, someone that was dressed a little shabby or looked a little down, here's what he'd do. I saw it happen more than once. He'd get up, he'd go out of his office, he'd stop at the secretary's desk and he'd say, tell whoever it is, tell them I'm not in my office. And he'd run into the walk-in vault and hide in there until the people left. True story. You see, Vern just couldn't handle this hidden God business. Messed up his life. So as Mark Twain says, it's the stories we understand that, that bother us. And today's story bothers us because it says God is hidden in places we don't want to go. It says God is hidden in people we don't want to meet. And it bothers me for another reason. Maybe it bothers you too. Over and over again, we children of the Reformation, whether you're Lutheran or Presbyterian or Methodist or whatever, but a lot of churches who have at the heart the Reformation 
Over and over again we say that God loves us and God accepts us because God is love. We say nothing we can do can make God love us more than God loves us right now. You've heard that preached. I've heard it. I've been sitting there and heard it preached from right here. And I believe it. In traditional language, we say we are saved by grace and not by works. You've heard that. Huh? We're saved by grace, but not by good works. But this story that Jesus tells seems to contradict that. Jesus says, come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why? For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I read that and I think, hmm, doesn't it sound like it's all about good works? Isn't it our doing? Isn't Jesus saying it's our doing that ends up saving us? I wrestled with that. Here's how I understand it. Let me, let me tell you a story from, from my ministry. Actually, it happened in Yorba Linda. Lois Larson was the oldest member of our congregation. She was 101. She was a bowler, by the way. And this is not part of the story, but it's so much fun. Lois Larson bowled until she was 100. She couldn't see anymore. She couldn't see the pins. But she could see the marks. Uh, you know, in the bowling alley, there's marks where you line up. So she told me once, she said, yeah, I went bowling yesterday, didn't do so well. I couldn't see the pins, but I could see the mark, and I lined up, and I bowled a 130. And I'm thinking, I never bowled a 130 in my life. Anyway, Lois was, as they say, a piece of work. She was recovering from a broken collarbone, and I visited her. She told me this story. She said, 40 years ago, my husband was diagnosed with incurable colon cancer. They wanted to put him in the hospital. I said, oh, I'll take care of him at home. Doctor said, oh, you can't do that. And I told that doctor, who are you to tell me what I can and cannot do? I took care of him. I changed him. I tended him for the last five weeks of his life. Now, I ask you, why do you think Lois did that? Was it because she looked at that man and saw Jesus there? Of course not. When she looked, she saw Walter. She did it because Walter was her husband, and that was her, what her love called her to do. Now, in most congregations, including this one, there are spouses tending and caring and loving their spouse without much in return. Do they do it because it is a good work? No. They do it because of the other person's need. I've been a part of PPC here, this, this church, since some, some time toward the end of 2014, I think it was. Not long enough to get to know all of you, but long enough to get to know some of you. So here are a few PPC stories. I'm a deacon, a PPC deacon. That means I visit a certain number of people, contact them regularly, and one of them is 93-year-old, almost 94-year-old Phil Lisman. And I visited Phil this week in his new digs, and we got to talking about the after-school program that he and his wife and, and his sister, I think, or her sister, started here at PPC. It was called Homework House. Anybody here work at Homework House? 
Oh, we got a few, yeah. Now it's no longer here at PPC, but you know it did help plant seeds for another home workhouse that functioned in Yorba Linda for decades. Now when Phil started that program, do you think he was out looking for Jesus in those kids? I don't think so. I don't think so. Some of you remember the homeless encampment along the Santa Ana River. I helped bring food there once or twice. How many of you helped bring food there ever? Huh? Yeah. I know Danny was the, one of the instigators, and I know Ann Miller helped coordinate, and I know Phil Rollins, who was another one of my deacon contacts, was there, plus you all. Now, did we all go out there to look for Jesus? Or did we go to feed hungry people? A few years back, Greg and Kathy Richardson took a break from their Monday night Bible study and dedicated their Monday nights to Solidarity's outreach program to young at-risk kids. Now, were Craig and Kathy out there looking for Jesus? I think finding the hidden Jesus, some of those kids would have, would have required more, more than human eyes could see. Isn't that right, Craig? <laughs> and, what about, and what about Roy and Don and all the rest who've gone down, down south for 12 hours bringing food? Are they all going to hunt for the hidden Jesus? And remember Fred, who passed away after a long, long struggle with a stroke that left him. Remember Fred, he'd always come with van full of bread. Was Fred out hunting for Jesus? And then there's the Thursday night meal crew and the clothes closet ministry crew and the His House volunteers. And I could go on and on and on. The point I want to make is this. None of the people that I've mentioned, and those who I haven't mentioned by name, all of you who've done so much here at PPC, none of them have set out to do good works to gain anyone's approval. They did what they saw needed doing. They did what their faith led them to do. None of them did what they did so they could cozy up to Jesus. They did it because they saw a need and they responded. I got a question for you. Let me, let me ask you this. And this is a real question, so don't just sit there behind your mask and, and you know, pretend you're sleeping. In, in the story that Jesus tells, the people are divided into two groups. What are the two groups? Sheep and the goats. That's right. Now here's the second question, a little harder. Which group saw the hidden Jesus? No, neither group Neither group saw the hidden Jesus. Because the sheep said, when was this? I didn't see Jesus. You see, seeing or not seeing is not the issue. If the, if the goat group, if the, if the sheep group, let's ask this one first. If the sheep group had seen the hidden Jesus, what would have changed in their behavior? Nothing. They saw a hungry person, they gave it. You're hungry over here. How about the goat people? If they had seen the hidden Jesus, would they have changed their behavior? Oh, I can bet they would have. They said, oh, Jesus. Oh, I, man, if I'd have known it was you, Jesus, I'd have given you something. I thought it was just an old drunk over there. I didn't know it was you. I would have done something. They would have loved the people, but why? As a way to get more love for themselves. But it's people 
like Phil and Ann and Don and Roy and Craig and Kathy and Barbara, etc., etc., etc. It's sheep people all around this world who have the good news planted in their hearts. God's love has claimed them and set them free from worrying about what the world thinks. God's love has freed them and set them free from worrying about their eternal future. God's love has freed them for loving, freed them for caring. God's grace has freed them for goodness. You see, friends, it's not that God loves them because they're good. They're good because God loves them. And they know it. And so they're free to love those people that God puts into the world. The sheep people love the people in front of them, not as a way to get more love from God. They're already loved eternally. They can give and serve humbly without any pretense or nonsense. They don't have to keep score because they've already won. Loving others is simply what Christians were created to do. Verse 40 in our reading, Jesus says this. Truly I tell you, as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. So here's the good, the good news for you all today. In all of our relations, we encounter God. The least of these are all around you. The desperate co-worker, the stressed out spouse, the lonely child, the poor neighbor, the prisoner, the stranger. So friends, don't think for a moment that your everyday life is insignificant and stale. Every encounter has eternal dimensions. As often as you have truly and freely loved another, you have loved God. So may God's grace continue to fill your doing with overflowing goodness. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you for love that you have poured into our lives. We thank you for the, the many, many sheep people that we have encountered that continue to strive and love. We pray, God, that you will remind us again today that every encounter has an eternal dimension. That every, in every encounter, we meet you. Amen.